Welcome back to the Good News Podcast. My name is Ayebele, and I'm a pastor at St. Paul's Free Methodist Church in Greenville, Illinois. I'm currently going through the ordination process, and one of the great gifts that the church has given me uh, is the opportunity to be a part of their rotating pulpit. The message that you're about to hear has been pre-recorded, but whether you heard it live uh, or long after it's been uploaded, I believe that the Holy Spirit is present. I hope you enjoy, and I look forward to hearing your thoughts and feedback uh, and comments. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was the life, and the light, uh, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and he, uh, he was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or not of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived amongst us, and we have seen his glory. The glory is that of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him uh, as, and cried out, this is he of whom I said, he who comes af- after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only son who is close to the father's heart, who has made him known. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. First Sunday, right after Christmas, the 26th. I want you to think of the last movie that you watched or maybe the last song that you listened to or even the last book that you read. And I want you to think of what was the message of that story that was, uh, that was being portrayed. I say this because we are people who not only love stories, but we're greatly shaped by them. And in many cases, we become the stories that we tell, whether it's others or to ourselves. And so one of the things that we've identified in recent uh, history is that uh, one of the things that we love about St. Paul's is the, uh, the rotating pulpit, right? We value hearing the stories of God being told by different voices and different experiences, different contexts and, and, and life, uh, life experiences. So really, that's what a sermon is uh, when you think about it. It's a story, or at least what we think the story might mean from a certain point of view, And so God has a way of working things together. Uh, The idea of scripture being stories uh, really jumped into my head as I thought about the Christmas story earlier this week. And by Tuesday, it was a concept that I knew I wanted to to kind of key in on. And then Wednesday, I met with Meg to go over the the sermon archives and restoring them um, on St. Paul's website. For those of you who haven't visited it recently, the sermon archives go all the way back to 2008. I was 11 years old. At the time. Yeah. And so as I uploaded each sermon, I I didn't really read any of them, but I was able to see the uh, the title and the person who who gave that sermon. 
And so there was a lot of creative ones. And so I saw very uh, cool glimpses of the progression of different congregants throughout the church. I also saw historically what we care about as a church, many themes of restoration and reconciliation and wrestling. I also got to see Elise Cranston and Tyler Merrill become Elise and Tyler Merrill Cranston. I don't think I've ever met these two, but now I find myself cheering them on. <laughs> I saw Tori Paulin turn into Tori Gosi. I saw familiar names like Nate Whelan and Lexi Basinger, Christina Smerick and John Brittingham, each with titles that popped off the page. And I would ha I'll have to say that if I had to give an award to the most creative uh, and eye-catching titles, it's got to go to Judy Cox. And so we become the stories that we tell. And so the art of storytelling is crucial to the development of all societies in all times and in all places. From hieroglyphs on a cave wall to multi-million dollar Hollywood productions, or even to a simple made-up story told by a parent before the lights get turned off. Stories are crucial and unique to us as people. But what makes a good story? I think a good story, uh, it must be relevant to the community. A good story must draw an individual into it. And this is usually by, uh, you know, the characters and situations, the, the conflict and tension that's within the story uh, that draws us into them. The structure of a story, there's a beginning, an exposition. There's the middle, right? Uh, the rising action, the conflict, and the climax. And then there's the falling action, and then the resolution, the end. And so when it comes to the Christmas story, the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke share, uh, they share unique perspectives of the birth of Jesus, but also of his life, death, and resurrection. The gospel of John covers the same story, but in a very different way, as you can see by the first 18 verses. John's gospel doesn't contain explicit details of Jesus' birth, of Jesus' baptism, of the temptations, of casting out demons. Jesus' parables really aren't mentioned. The Last Supper isn't really explored. Jesus' struggle in Gethsemane or Jesus' ascension. And so we ask ourselves, this is a gospel? It's apparent that the gospel of John is much less concerned with giving us a synapse of Jesus' life, and it's much more focused on giving us something to wrestle with, Jesus as the Messiah, for the purpose of faith and belief. Now, there's a danger in storytelling that we have to be aware of. Some people think that if a story is told too often, that it loses meaning. And I would say, you know, this is, uh, this is the case for many Christians who, who don't choose to tell the story of the Last Supper and Communion every week. That it will lose meaning eventually if we do it too often. But I contend that the danger of telling a story frequently isn't that it loses meaning, it's that we fall victim to not paying close attention. When we think we know a story, we can fast forward the parts that we don't like in order to focus on the scenes that we love. And I think this is the gift of the lectionary, that we can't run from verses in texts like John chapter 1, no matter how difficult they are to process or how difficult they are to sit with. It's vital to us as a faith community to gather around and tell these good stories of the good news, paying attention to the beginning, the middle, the end, the characters in conflict, and the resolution that's offered. And so today I hope to navigate this text by retelling the story borrowing from Samuel's five-act play model and applying it to the first 18 verses of John's gospel. Rather than five acts, I'll break it into four. 
Act one is the preexistence and the role of the word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things came into being through him and without him not one thing came into being. And what has come into being in him was life and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. Talk about a beginning. This is the beginning of all beginnings. The first 18 verses of John, you can think of it as an exposition of the themes that are going to be covered, the ideas and the events that John will talk about within this gospel. Think of it as a table of contents, like, much like at the beginning of a novel that gives you a list of what's going to be said in what chapter. So John's gospel begins with a familiar format that makes sense to a lot of the, the Jews that would have read this. But it also uses language that makes sense to the Greek. In the beginning was the word uh, which existed before time in unity with God, as well as in essence as God. The Jewish readers would have been taken back to the first chapter of Genesis as the wind of God swept over the deep. The Jews often spoke of God as the word of God, and they understood the essence of the word to be God himself. The Greeks understood the logos as the power that puts sense into all. Think of it as a wisdom that brings order uh, to chaos. And so the, there's no way to read the first chapter of John's gospel and not be confronted with the concept of the Holy Trinity. Three eternal beings distinct, yet one. And there's only so much we can fathom concepts that might cause a short circuit in our brains. And John addresses three of them within the first five verses. The concept of time before time existed, creation, and the Holy Trinity. John's gospel continues to display the role of the Lagos in its sovereignty, in its creativity, and its power. We see that all things were made, and not one thing without the Lagos would have been made. The word then is the creator of all things tangible and intangible in the active role of creation as well as being the light and life of all people. Theologian Marcus Dodd says that the word is the power which creates and maintains all existence. See, the word is more than just the author of light and life. The word in its intrinsic nature is the light and life of all people. So any good beginning or introduction must do two things. One is capture the reader's attention, which I think it's done. And two, invite the reader into the story. Well, how does John's gospel do this? If the result of all creation is birthed from the word, being in unity and being the essence of God, then bursting and bursting forth in the light and life of all people, and then the result of all creation is birthed from the word, then the introduction draws us into the story with this question. And it's a pretty deep question, I might add. Why us? And what is our role and purpose in this story? The fifth verse kind of foreshadows a little bit of what we must work through in order to get to the, you know, maybe even answer this question. In verse 5, that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. Act 1 reveals to us that God's love is self-giving and that creation is not a result of boredom. Rather, creation is a result of an overflowing love in which the light and life of the Lagos, a marriage of the eternal, speaks into existence everything that is good and then forms humankind and consecrates them as very good. 
This creation that bears the image of God is unique to all other creation in the sense that it bears the light and life that is present in the Lagos. So how do we bear this light and life? We'll move on to, chat, uh, act, uh, to act two of this play. That John, is, uh, uh, John the Baptist as a witness. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And he came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light. But he came to testify to the light, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. The Gospel of John continues the story by focusing on the role of John the Baptist. His role in the story is to testify to the light for the purpose that all might believe. And there's an important distinction that's made that though John the Baptist testified to the light, he himself was not that light. There's an active battle between light and darkness in all humans and to which John's uh, gospel is, is, uh, holds John the Baptist as one of the people who prepares the world for the true light that will enlighten all people. John the Baptist is not just an indication that upon hearing this, we must believe. John seems to embody the Great Commission before the Great Commission is given. He seems to make disciples and offer baptism long before it is stated by Jesus. And so this, along with loving God and loving our neighbor, lies a challenge for all who believe this story to be true, to make known to the world that true light which enlightens everyone. And the question remains, how? Act three of this story is the conflict of rejection and the difficulty of recognition. That he was in the world and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. Who were born not of blood or of the will of flesh or of the will of man, but of God. So the word, the author and source of all light and life, that which he knew so intimately, yet the world did not know him. They refused to know him. They rejected and did not accept him. And in John's gospel, in chapter 3, verse 19, it says that the light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. This is the conflict intention of the story that was alluded to earlier when it says that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. Many might read a text such as this and conclude that the concept of belief Versus non-belief is the conflict. I mean, just a few chapters later, we get one of the most well-known verses. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes might not perish, but have eternal life. But what this interpretation does, I believe, is it creates a divide. There's two sides now. There's those who believe and those who don't believe. However, belief is simply a byproduct of something greater happening the conflict between light and darkness that continues in all people, regardless of the status of faith. So what does it look like for the life and light of the Lagos to win over the darkness? Let's continue the story and see how it unfolds. Act 4 is the climax of grace and truth. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only son 
who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. This is the most abridged uh, version of the Christmas story as it can get. The word became flesh and lived among us. This is the reason for the season. As a result of the incarnation of the Lagos, of the word, the incarnation of God in the flesh, John's gospel says that we have seen his glory full of grace and truth. The law which was given through Moses revealed a glimpse of God, of his power, purity, and promise, but the fulfillment of all of that is revealed in Jesus Christ. The glory of God and grace and truth came through Jesus. So what a story, huh? The story told in the first 18 verses of John's gospel is one that has been told for centuries and has not lost any meaning. It has been told in all continents <clears throat> in various contexts and Lord knows how many backgrounds and ed- experiences and uh, educational emphases and communities have uh, told this story from their point of view. <clears throat> that they've revisited this story and continue to tell this story. And year after year, that's exactly what we do during the season of Advent and Christmas. We revisit this story. This commonly unbelievable story contains floating concepts of light and life and darkness testifying to those who don't know or those who refuse to accept the word, the logos, God, wisdom, spirit, breath, the power of, uh, to, of children uh, to become children of God, a deity becoming flesh full of grace and truth, a trinity three in one, distinct, yet one. The problem with preaching a text like John chapter one, verses one through 18, is that whoever is preaching it is trying to make sense of a story that I'm not sure makes sense. (laughs) Yet as the story goes, it's in the midst of the darkness that the light overcomes. It's in the confusion and loss that God plunges himself into creation and reveals himself to that creation. As stated before, I'm not sold on the idea that belief and faith or lack thereof is the source of conflict in this story. I think that the most dangerous thing for our faith is when we know the story so well, we stop paying attention to the disturbing parts, to the confusing parts, and quite frankly, to the boring parts. They exist. Let's be real. For Christians, this story is everything. And admittedly, as I studied John chapter 1, it felt much like drinking through a fire hydrant. It was a lot to handle at once. There's a lot going on. In all four acts, though, of this story that we revisited, I noticed one common theme, and it's a comforting theme. It's that God desires to be with this creation, not just to exist among us or to just be with us, but to have a complete, whole, full, and right relationship with us. The incarnation of God in flesh is offered to all people that they might experience a relationship with the divine creator of all things, both tangible and intangible, and that we may be able to somehow experience heaven on earth. Christ brings heaven to earth. In the pre-existence of the word, God's self-giving love creates everything, yet one creation is set apart as different in the sense that God desires it to know him in a different way than all the other creation. In John the Baptist, as a witness, God takes his desire for humans to know him and he puts it into action, taking the necessary steps 
to prepare them because they're not ready. In the conflict of rejection and difficulty of recognition, God isn't far away. He's an active participant of the world that he created. And though rejected by his own, God redefines for all what it means to be a child of God and what it takes to follow him. In the climax of grace and truth, God acts in a way that changes everything. At this point, this is the climax of the story. From Jesus' birth to the day of Pentecost, the story is progressing in a way that changes the entire world for centuries and centuries to come. It is the reason that we are gathering here today to still tell this story. So what's the challenge for anyone who hears this story? I think there's many things that we believe, right? Many uh, concepts or historical figures, historical events that require a lot of faith, whether we realize it or not. And usually they don't have that much proof. Maybe it's in a textbook or maybe it's on a website. It takes a lot of faith to believe these things. But I think it's what comes after believing that may throw people off. I think the real challenge of believing then becomes worship, the answer to all of the questions posed, to live a life of worship. Because if God is continually offering us a relationship and a connection, if we are continually offered the light and life of all humankind present in the Lagos, then the ball is in our court on how we respond. To grasp this, we have to abandon the idea of worship as an event. It's not a Sunday service. It's not a daily devotion. It's not a prayer or a song that we offer up, though all of these things are a form of worship and greatly shape us. Living a life of worship is an active rejection of the darkness and a simultaneous active acceptance of the light and life present in the Lagos. A life of worship is experiencing heaven on earth in a way that permeates everything that we do. It's a journey of grace and truth, and thank God it's not one that we have to go through all by ourselves. This is why we gather with our loved ones, friends and family. It's in the hardships and the winds, the excitement and the mundane moments of life that our lives become worship to God. In short, a life of worship is to say yes to God's invitation to fellowship that has existed before time. And so the darkness, I believe, is our desire to worship ourselves, our desire to do what is right for us, what we deem is good for us. And so I think that the true conflict at hand is not whether we believe or not, but it's who we choose to worship, the word that was in the beginning with God as God before the beginning, creating everything without the word, nothing being created. Are we going to worship the Lagos, Jesus Christ incarnate, or are we going to worship ourselves and follow our desires, redefining what is good? This is the word of the Lord. <laughs>